Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everybody. My name is Neil White, and from Backpage, this is The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. It's our monthly Q&A show. And as we are recording shortly after the completion of the first legs of the round of 16 in the Champions League, we asked our socios at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter for questions about the teams still gunning for that trophy. This is part one, and today we'll be focusing on Real Madrid versus Man City, the first leg of which took place last night. Let's go. First, we have questions from Peter Gordon and Rich Cook that cover similar ground. Peter says, hi, Graham, do you agree that Pep seems to overcomplicate his tactics in Champions League matches, confuses his players and in the end doesn't get the desired results. Against Madrid, they looked really confused and only when Raheem Sterling came on and the players were freed up did they go on and win the match. And then a different angle from Rich Cook. I wanted to ask about Pep and in particular the reaction during a game to when he pulls off something out of the box tactically. Tonight we saw a slightly different setup with some key players on the bench. I know he has a track record of the weird and wonderful, but why does everyone get so freaked out when he does it? And what's your favourite Pep masterstroke? Hello, Peter and Rich. Um, I think I'm a reluctant combatant in this war. Because I, I don't think that there's no substance to the idea that Pep is is difficult to follow, that he is quixotic uh, in football terms. I don't think that's, there's no argument about that. But it's become polemicised into, and I don't mean either of you two, but it's, come, it's become polemicised by many people, either uh, more traditional meat and two veg, and uh, don't put any of that... Um, um, extra mayonnaise near my veg coaches particularly in England and viewers and again neither Peter nor Rich do I mean you who are like well I don't like the way that food smells so I'm not tasting it there's a lot of people who are like well I don't really see the point of this or I don't understand this and therefore the the, the polemic war has has grown up to like if I don't understand it then it's probably not effective or it's probably not right or it's at fault for Pep, etc. And I know both of you are spinning off last night's game. And I know, or at least I'm relatively sure, although, was I? I was there. If you look hard at Pep, I think there are other things to say. So, for example, not last night, but when recently Tony Cruz and Thomas Muller were both speaking about having had the benefit of, of working for Pep, they both said, um, best coach. They, they both said, if you ask any of the other players there, 
we've we've never been coached in that manner. Thomas Muller particularly said, like, we played in a manner which was, you know, sensational and, and which we we couldn't maintain when he wasn't there because to do the things he wants, you have to be thinking about them, doing them, practicing them every single day. It's like as if you were, you know, a 25th Dan black belt at, you know, whatever you call it any martial art you want and then you just assume well I'll be that level forever but then no you have to accept you're a 16th Dan black belt because you don't practice as hard and the things that Pep says do confuse me too we're exchanging views Peter Rich also shows high but I sat there in last night's I watched the game and I thought I understood it relatively well you know acceptably well then you sit in the press conference and Pep says things like well I didn't have a lot of time to study uh, Real Madrid. So I watched the classical uh, pre-Christmas and I was shocked about how high they pressed, how well they pressed. And in Pet's view, he hadn't seen a Real Madrid team that was as athletic and as high pressing and as hard working and as sportingly aggressive. And he said that, you know, since then in the build up to this tie, he's been so busy that he reckoned he only had a four or five days to study Real Madrid really closely and, and work out what to do. And, and he didn't really know much about Valverde beforehand. So... <sighs> I don't know. Could it really be that Pip's so busy that he hasn't got much of a clue about Fede Valverde until the tie between the two sides comes up? I have my doubts, but I don't know. Is it really the case that his fanatical obsession with detail meant that he only latterly came up with a game plan about how to beat Real Madrid? And, and what he said, and this was crystal clear, he said that he put his team out not knowing how Vinicius Inesco would be deployed. So he sat there post-match, post-victory in the Bernabeu saying, I told my guys, if Vinicius is playing wide, then we play 4-3-3. If Vinicius is playing a little bit more centrally, and this goes at the tip of the diamond, then we adapt, we play a diamond too. So that was somewhat new for me, Rich, Peter. The idea that things can be so fluid, not only in Pep's mind, but with Pep and his players, that they go out perfectly prepared to play two different formations based upon what they find when Romadid assemble rather than what they see when their teams are released about an hour before the game on paper and you get the, you just get the player list. So last night, talking about last night, where were the real tactical novelties? I didn't see any. Was I utterly su- surprised to see Fernandinho on the bench and Aguero on the bench? Yes, I was. I was completely knocked out. I thought if you had to name two certainties to play, then following Ederson, probably those two would have been, you know, two of my first three or four picks. Did I anticipate that? No. And is it impossible that they could have played and and City could have produced the same performance? Well, now I begin to understand it a little bit because Gabriel Jesus does work an awful lot harder and Kun Aguero off the ball in terms of where he wants to drag opposition players, what work he does in pressing or defending compared to Kun Aguero because of complete differences in their ages, complete differences in what one guy still has to prove and what the other guy doesn't have to prove. Aguero is miles more effective in front of goal than Gabriel Jesus, but, but Pep clearly wanted a completely different type of performance from his principal striker and a principal striker who did an awful lot of work at, not auxiliary left back, but was played deep and helped out in defence and, and and stretched the game wide so that Bernardo Silva could come through in the middle and, and that there would be more space for, for Kevin De Bruyne, I think. 
so the, the two ways I listen to your questions are that you find Pep bemusing sometimes. Well, so do I. Do his, do his players? I'm not sure. And is the current debate, this, this huge debate about Pep overthinking things, I wonder if that's just become a catch-all label. Because can he complicate things and get things wrong? Yeah, well, he said himself that the way in which he got himself into a tizzy when he was first by Munich manager, therefore in his first season, and they lose 1-0 in a game they should have won at the Bernabeu, and Quantrao crosses for Benzema to score that 1-0 goal. The return like looked as if it should have been Bayern's, and, and Pep says that he listened to his players, got it wrong, got muddled up, and completely had his worst tactical night of his career, and they lost 4-0 overall, 5-0. Since then, have I seen games where I'm absolutely convinced that he's overthought things? No, I don't think so. I think that his trademark is that he tries to do things that the other coach... Not only that the other coach and the other team won't anticipate. So it's if he was overthinking things and I'll surprise them like this, hey presto, then he wouldn't go on the pitch with two options for his players based on what the opposition are going to do. Does he conjure up ideas for particular positions for players that confuse us sometimes and leave us scrabbling to catch up? Yes. But are his players underbriefed when they go out? Are they reluctant to do what he's asking him? That's not my experience. Does it always come off? Well, no. Well, he's Pep Guardiola. It doesn't mean that he clicks his finger, comes up with some you know university challenge strategy, and it all falls into place and it works. The beauty of football is that it's utterly random. You know, it's a really crazy game. With if you think about a match, billions of moving parts in 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 one ninety minutes. Given how many options there can be for, you know me versus you movements among 22 players. And I'll, I'll finally say that when the, when the game is won, it, and it comes down to mistakes by Real Madrid when De Bruyne is allowed to run free into the box and to swivel and across. And in my opinion, Gabriel Jesus does push Ramos. And if you get away with it and the referee doesn't spot it and VAR isn't interested, fine, it's a goal. And there's another huge mistake by Carvajal who gives away an absolute clear-cut penalty. And you you have to, when Casemiro gives the ball away for the, the bursting run um, that Gabriel makes and, and Ramos pushes him and there's a red card, you know, he went down really quickly. But Casemiro gives the ball away, unpressured. So when we talk about Pep and, and his masterclasses and his ideas, last night, as much as he the the things he cooked up in his in his aga in that big brain of his might have made a difference in how the game flow went how how whether Real Madrid felt comfortable or not whether they were more tired by the end than they would otherwise have been these are the things he influenced but the actual result came down to moments of cleverness cheekiness mistakes. And that's non-negotiable. You can't get away from the fact that I don't think anybody in Pep's camp will be proposing the idea that Pep's a genius and his, his little mad scheme won this all on its own. That ain't the case. And I'll tell you something else to close. When he went out last year um, against Spurs and I didn't agree with, I didn't enjoy and I didn't see the point and, and retrospectively I, th- I felt it was wrong the way that he approached the game in London. But when they go out, they go out in the mo- again in the most ludicrous of circumstances. W- whether he overthinks or doesn't overthink, whether he's a tactical genius or whether he sometimes gets things right or not, you know, the Urenti handball, the offside when City think they've won it, the, the absolute, what do you call that game that you play with no tilts and it's p- the pinball nature of football when it's flat out, 
I punch, you punch football. Guardiola does things that influence patterns in games, but ultimately it comes down to how prepared, how hungry, how cheeky, how lucky are your elite players on a given night? And, and therefore, I'm I'm a, I'm I'm a non-combatant in this debate about Pep overthinking things. Does he make mistakes? Sometimes we just call that making mistakes in other coaches, but with Pep, we have to brand him as well that big old egghead. Well, I, I'm not. Lads, I'm not playing. I feel like you refereed that debate between Peter and Rich very astutely there. Um, next up, we have an audio question from one of our socios, Tom Canton. Tom, you're up. Hi, boys. Tom Canton here. I just wanted to ask a question as to where you would place the main blame with Real Madrid's defeat tonight. Was it in the lineup? Did he decide to go with too much inexperience with Mondi and and Valverde or was it more to do with the fact that City were just wanting it more on the night desperate to get that Champions League win this season with who knows what might be on the horizon for them but where would you place the main blame for Los Blancos defeat this evening Tom look I like the cut of your jib as I've always liked the cut of your jib when you keep in touch with this I, I, I strongly feel that although I found it hard to separate the two sides coming into the match. When people were asking me over the last four or five days, I kept saying, and this isn't me claiming cleverness or status, but I kept saying, I think City have more of an opportunity now than they would have done if this tie had been three weeks ago. And that's because, and it's my way of answering you, Tom, that's because I can't tell you why, but the evidence of my own eye has been that, football eye has been that, the way in which um, the physical work that Gregory Dupont imposed on them from July onwards began to take root properly in about October and ran right the way through to the end of January, the very beginning of February, that was the most potent symbol of the resurgence of Real Madrid that I could see because we all knew that there were very good footballers there. We all knew that there were guys settling in there and and that's happened to greater or less extent. Vinicius in his big season two um, has changed and for the better. Mondi, from a very flat start, has become, in my opinion, indispensable. Jovic hasn't worked at all and I hope this is listened to before the classical, otherwise I might look stupid. I think he might be the coming man. I think it's getting to the stage where Jovic might be used with Zidane going... I, I've I've simply had enough of waiting for him. I'm going to throw him into situations and say to him, sink or swim, fella. But DuPont's fitness work brought back to life key, key people like Varane, like Courtois, like Valverde and like Casemiro and Modric and Cruz in particular. Now, when I look at this defeat, I wasn't saying alarm bells, everybody hands over your head, under the table, incoming defeat, definite, because City are going to win this. But I was saying, Madrid don't look right. They look pallid. In the last three, maybe four games, but certainly three prior to Madrid, I began to see both Valverde and Casemiro not do things that had become essential to to Madrid's muscular, powerful, we'll outplay you, we'll outlast you, We'll, we'll defeat you motif over the last few months. I saw minor dips, but with each increasing game, they they look less like themselves. So 
tackles that were, would have been won, presses that would have been made, second balls that would have been made, the speed of counterattack, the speed of passes. Madrid were in a mode from October to the end of January whereby they would literally go regularly, I mean really regularly, four or five times every game and a half, they would go from their box to the opposition box in about 15 seconds. No no fat, everything spare and lean, quick passes. And, and the speed of passing, about choice, about execution of pass, about where you're receiver of the ball, what position they've taken up, that's all to do with physical fitness, not brilliance, not brightness, not, not only technique or technical skills. It's about, is everybody... Has everybody done enough work in in thinking and moving that once the ball is recuperated, it, it's it's easy. It's just like you know, um, from me to you, from me to you, from me to you. And when these things fall down, they fall down for a number of reasons. But the central one is usually either players aren't quick enough to get where they should be or to do what they should do, or else they're they're mentally a little bit slower because physically they're tired and they know what they should be doing but they're realising one second, two seconds, three seconds too late and therefore, Tom, what I put a huge amount of blame on if you're from the Real Madrid side on on how the 2-1 result came in that there were a number of players who increased that, that theme I'm talking about against Manchester City they looked pallid they really look like imitations of themselves. And the the one who was worst of all in that respect was Casemiro, who has been fundamental to Real Madrid all season. And last season was was limp, was like a rag doll, was going through the motions and having very little effect. And this season, he's been towering. Absolutely fantastic. A pleasure to watch, irrespective of whether you're a Real Madrid man or not. And therefore, if you look at his contribution last night, how much he, a ground he covered, what impact he had, which tackles and which aerial duels he won, how many passes were good, what presses he won, and how many mistakes he made, then you'd give him about a four out of ten. Now, the, def- the, the defeat doesn't rest on him alone. And here's something that I can't explain to you. But when you, you named the team in advance of last night's match, you always had Cruz in it. No question whatsoever. And above all, you'd have thought that Zidane in recent games where he's unnecessarily rested Mondi and Valverde and lost points as a result, would have thought, i tell you what I'm going to do. The, the, the little details, special etchings in my game plan will not come around left-back where Mondi must play instead of Marcelo, and it will not come in midfield where I must have the big four, which is Modric, Casemiro, Valverde, and Cruz. And and really, albeit that Modric plays a lovely part in the way that the, the, the ball is robbed for Rumadid's goal. If there was anybody, given his age and how much football he's played recently, who you might have thought, maybe he misses out, it would have been Modric for Cruz. I would have picked all four of them. And then I'd have worried about, like, do I go... Benzema and Bale, do I go Vinicius and Bale? And I would have gone Vinicius and, and Benzema. And I've had those four in midfield. And although Isco scored the goal, I wouldn't have played Isco. Isco slows Real Madrid down. He's, his turn and twist and give me the ball back and and I'll dictate the, the vertical forward movement when I choose. That's not how Madrid play at their best. And he's fantastic. He's very fit. You know, he's looking lean. His his actual quality of touch on the ball is as good as it's been for a while. But I don't think he's the right player for this brand of Real Madrid football. And and therefore, to find Tony Cruz not playing was, to me, 
absolutely indefensible. I, as much as I'm a massive fan of Zidane's comportment, his ideas, the brand of football we watch under him, I thought that was a huge mistake. Cruz isn't unfit, we know that. He was miffed, we know that too. He went and spoke with Pep Guardiola in the, in the mix zone, flash zone, after the game. What was said, I don't know. I hope that there's no down on Cruz given the big, big, long piece he did with Athletic and Ralph Honigstein um, before the match, where he talked in great length about Pep and life at Bayern under him. I hope Zidane's nose wasn't out of joint about that. I really hope that. It would be unlike him if it was. But why else did the guy not play? As the game developed, the need for Tony Cruz and his change of tempo, his ability to dictate where the spaces get opened up, his ability to, to support the three midfielders who gradually became overwhelmed, all of these things became more and more obvious with each passing minute. So, Tom, I genuinely think that the the, the, the tie, sometimes moments open up for you like little, I don't know, little cosmic um, clamshells in the Champions League. And City came, irrespective of their own injury problems and irrespective of the little surprises that Pep sprung on us, I think City came to Real Madrid at a perfect time to impose their brand of football and at a time where Real Madrid didn't have enough gasoline in the engine to react in the way they should have done. And I'll finish now, Tom, by saying that Zidane at the end was really pissed off. Not at City, not at the referee, but he said, we played so well, given you know what state we're in, for, he reckoned, about 90% of the match. We needed 10 more good minutes of concentration, he reckoned, and we couldn't do it. Why did that happen? Because they don't care about the Champions League? No, because they're knackered. So there's been a physical droop in recent weeks, really recent weeks, by Real Madrid and Manchester City capitalised on it. Okay, we're going to take a quick break now. Um, When we come back, I think a follow-up question on the same theme. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello again, we're back with a question from socio Daryl Geraghty who asks, Karim Benzema didn't offer a focal point, only had 18 or 19 touches and the game seemed to pass him by. Is it time to try something different? That's too many games this season. He's just been anonymous. So this is following up, Graham, you already mentioned um, your kind of hunch about Zidane's uh, move with Jovic. And I mean... Benzema has been the subject of some debate ever since Cristiano Ronaldo departed Real Madrid and even before then. What did you think of him last night and, and how have you seen his role this season? Well, first of all, Mr. G, hello. I, I, I hate to differ again. I've been, I've been really contrary in this uh, question and answer for the socials. Dalit, look, Benzema, 
hasn't been on fine goal-scoring form in 2020. But I thought he was exceptional for the first half of the season. Factually, first of all, you asked me my opinion, but factually, he's going to get a new contract. So he'll stay on at Real Madrid. Secondly, I think that's right. I think that should be the case. Next, I agree that the amount of quality things he did, the amount of quality ball he got or gave, were down for Benzema. They, They were. No argument about that. But other than the goal, Remedy's very best chance was a Benzema header, which I thought Edison produced an unbelievable save. On another day, Mr. G, that's a goal. If I, if you don't mind me saying so, I think that Benzema, although perhaps he's suffering some of the same loss of you know, physical engine material that, that I've accused some of the others of suffering from. And I think that's beyond their control. I think it's a, I think for Gregory Dupont, this is a naturally occurring phenomenon whereby the fitness program started a little bit late. His appointment was a little bit late. It took a little bit of time for the, the work that the Frenchman was doing to kick in because we saw in the group game against Paris Saint-Germain, Remedy were still just ghosts and they weren't as fit as, as, the, as the other elite teams around Europe in the autumn. So I'm not expert enough to say, well, you could have guessed that this was when the slump was coming. But I imagine that what DuPont has been doing is tr- trying to keep things ticking over now so that there's a massive burst of power in March and April, which again is what has become the norm for the elite teams. Um, I noticed that, you know, there's a slump at Juventus right now where domestically they've had their problems at Napoli, they get beat at Lyon. I don't think it's wildly out of tune that sometime as the winter turns into spring, some teams are going, right, we're building towards a new pulse, a big pulse. I'm not being defensive of it. It might be that they've they've got it wrong and it's as simple as that. But Benzema is one of the victims in that I don't think he's, he's as lean but I don't think he's as powerful or as resourceful as he was at the peak of his season. But I think that the the reason that he's only scored, I think, two goals in 2020 is, is miles and miles different from that. Number one, I contend, and I really mean this, that Madrid's midfield has begun game by game to play a little bit differently. They're a little bit less dominant. They harass and win the ball in slightly different areas of the pitch. And I think that they're as a unit, their ability to support Benzema has has changed. And gradually, week by week, in the last five weeks, that's declined. Secondly, when that um, midfield is playing and Benzema is up front with one other, whether it's Bale or Isco or Vinicius, Valverde is the guy, although Casemiro does too, who most often gets to the top of the diamond and is there to support Benzema. Now, Valverde has been left out of a few recent games to rest a guy who's 21, who's about ninth or 10th in the list of the guys with the most minutes for Real Madrid, i.e. I'm arguing he's the one that needs the the rest least. And therefore, I've been a bit bemused by the, the last few choices Zidane has made. And I'm arguing this, um, DG, to try and suggest why Benzema isn't getting the support that he needs. Now, his ability to create space and create chances for his teammates, I don't think has dropped in 2020 massively. Okay, against City, it did. But the guy who is his, like the Spanish use the word socio, like we use as part of a society or social, his socio, his best buddy, the guy who's, who's the, you know, the, the Smith to his Jones, is Eden Hazard. So he comes back, he gets two games, looks really good as does the partnership against Celta. 
they should win. They don't kill it. They they lose a late goal. They, they draw 2-2 and suddenly the wheels come off and Hazard is injured against Levante and he's not there for Benzema. Not only is Hazard brilliantly talented, which you know, but the click between Hazard and Benzema whenever they've played this season has been absolutely palpable. You really notice that they play for each other and that Benzema, with Hazard in the team week in, week out, including against City, I think would be scoring and giving goals more regularly. So that's a loss. And I honestly believe that when Zidane uses his five midfielder ploy, which is Modric and Cruz and Casemiro and Valverde and Isco, I think that I did a touchscreen for it in La Liga the other day against Levante, whereby very often what happens is, let's say that, that, that they get re- men really high up, two fullbacks really high up, like old-fashioned wingers, plus Benzema, plus a midfielder high up, and the ball breaks away and everybody retrenches. So they've been high up in the opposition boss, box, everybody retrenches, the, the fullbacks try and get their shape, the midfield tries to make sure they're in a place to press, and it, the ball is won, and then it's released quickly to Benzema. He's on his own. And for example, if Valverde's not playing, Isco and the fullbacks have gone deep. Isco doesn't have the pace, nor does Modric, to burst forward and say, I'm the second striker now. Valverde does, but of course he doesn't play all the time. Didn't play against Levante. And I, I, I think that the number one cause of Benzema's dip in goals, doubt, is, is, is isolation. And, and I'm sticking to that view. I'm glad that we addressed... Eden Hazard there, and by we, obviously, I mean you. Uh, Hazard was very much the, the, the ghost at the banquet last night, I thought. Um, this one from Finley McDonald, another socio and regular contributor. Why is Kevin De Bruyne never linked to a big money move to Real Madrid or Barcelona or indeed any other top European club? Is he not Galactico enough for their marketing departments? Why would you buy a car off Finley McDonald? One careful Iona. That's, that's a good one, isn't it? One careful Iona. I was so busy thinking of that joke, Finley, that I forgot the question. Neil, could you repeat it? <laughs> Finley was wondering why De Bruyne is never linked to a big move to Real Madrid or Barcelona or, or any of the other big European clubs. I suppose it's relevant um, when you think about the situation that City now find themselves in and a couple of other players being linked to moves to Spain. Why do we never hear it for, for KDB? Well, hold on, hold on, though, Finley. First of all, I think we've got, um, or we try for, a slightly different um, level of conversation within us socios. Does linked mean, why aren't journalists making up stories more about him and saying, oh, De Bruyne wants Madrid, or De, De Bruyne's hacked off um, with um, Barcelona or, you know, the, the, the solution to Barcelona's terrible problems is that they must buy... De- I think when you say linked, I, I, I guess what you're meaning, because I know how smart you are and how informed you are and how much you travel to watch your football too. From Iona to Iparua is is, is the title of a, of, a, of a good book featuring you. The, the truth of it is, as I understand it, that De Bruyne until now and, and the ban that... Manchester City are threatened with because UEFA have said two years, they've gone to Cass and Ferran Soriano made a very, you know, in-depth and heartfelt promise that they have irrefutable proof that um, the case against them must fail. So let's leave that there. 
until now, my understanding is that, that Kevin De Bruyne has literally never been happier in his footballing club career than he is right now at Manchester City. If I understand it correctly, he feels he's as appreciated as he's ever been, even compared to when he was at Wolfsburg. I think that by common consent, he's playing the best football of, of his life. Even if he isn't being um, bombarded with separate individual awards, again, and I'm cheating a little bit here because I'm relying a little bit on, on what I'm told by friends of this firm, or uh, Paul Ballus and, and Lou Martin, who, um, who whose book was published by Backpage Press. And therefore, when I when I hear them talking about the the training ground situation and and the degree to which De Bruyne finds a fit for his personality within the dressing room, within how he's treated by the staff, how he's talked to by Pep Guardiola. I have not detected a single element of him thinking the grass might be greener somewhere else. Now, could I imagine him playing at Football Club Barcelona or Real Madrid? He'd walk into either of those teams, just stroll. Well, he'd probably dart in unnoticed and pick up a position in the in the dressing room without anybody having picked up on him. And he'd wear the shirt and say, "Hey, fellas, here I am. I'm Kev." I honestly, Finley, I honestly think that how things develop from now on, if City are denied Champions League football, in which would be two of the last peak, peak years of Kevin De Bruyne, I mean, absolute peak, or two, let's call them the two golden years of his career, then then maybe we've got to revisit this conversation. But in truth, if you find a, a company or a, or a, a club that, that is willing to, to pay you massively, keep you happy, make you feel appreciated, where you regularly win trophies and where until now you genuinely believe you've got a high chance of conquering Europe. I, I think that, and particularly when Kevin De Bruyne is one of those players who doesn't have a gigantic ego. So for example, with not a hint of criticism of Cristiano Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo is a very CRPLC it's about me, the brand must grow. There's no Kevin De Bruyne brand. There's no, I'm not saying he's got no ego. That, that would be a stupid idea. But does he covet more fame, more covers of newspapers about him? Does he covet a, a sort of more fashionable lifestyle than the, the rain and the sparking clogs of, of Lancashire? I, I don't think so. Finally, in this part one, where we're focusing on Man City and Real Madrid, here's a quick one to wrap it up on this tie. It's another audio question, and this time from Steve Freeth from our sponsors, Bet365. I think a lot of people were surprised that Manchester City were such strong favourites to win at the Bernabeu, even with Sterling and Aguero on the bench. Is that it now? Is the tie over? Or can Madrid get anything from the return trip to the Etihad? Hi-ho, Fritharino. Let, let me be pedantic here. In fact, probably that's what most of you tune in for. Pedantry is, after all, an art. Um, I think Real Madrid don't go through. I think that City finish this in whichever is the most achievable manner in Manchester in three weeks' time. When you say, is it finished, do I think that there's no way that City can drop the ball here? Is there no way that Real Madrid can revitalise themselves in three weeks' time and and take it to extra time at 2-1 or win 2-0? Then, no, that would be stupid of me. The Real Madrid, which was at its most sort of colourful, and full of personality in the winter months, definitely could have gone to Manchester City and 
easily slugged it out toe-to-toe, could easily have imposed themselves physically. And, you know, I noticed that there was no tone of optimism from Pep Guardiola about how quickly he'll see Laporte back again. Now, hopefully that I've picked that up wrongly. And also the doctors had, had yet to do an examination of the Basque or French central defender. And, and therefore, hopefully he is back. You know, I'd, I'd much rather see two full strength sides. But with Laporte out, and, and there's, you know, there's many little battles to be had for both clubs between now and then. So injuries, you know, could certainly be a, a bigger factor, I think, than, than form. Do Real Madrid manage to um, re-up themselves in, in time for the visit to England? That That's a hard ask. That's a really hard ask. And therefore... All I'm saying is that while I genuinely think that this is the, and we've all seen this in the Champions League, Steve, that there are times when you suffer and you suffer and you suffer, and then it's you. That old Robbie Coltrane advert for the, when the lottery, it's you. You know, City have been bedeviled, and Pep has been bedeviled by problem after problem, not of his own making, whereby things have gone against him. Whether players have made minute mistakes or there's literally just been bad rub of the green against him or against City. I think that has turned. I think it's their time. I tipped, Steve, you know this. Associates, I hope you were listening to Bet365's content videos. I, I, at the start of the season, I've said if the draw keeps them apart, this was in August, then I see a Manchester City-Liverpool uh, final because I still think Paris Saint-Germain, Bayern Munich notwithstanding, Juventus, I still think that the on form and with the majority of their players fit. Not, nobody ever gets everything going their way. Manchester City and Liverpool are the two best teams in Europe. And therefore, I think City go through. I think City see, see it out. But is it, it's a different thing to say the tie's dead. Forget it, that's it over, it's one. That's not true. Thank you, Graham. Thank you, socios. Steve included for the great questions. We'll be back tomorrow with part two, featuring Barca, Dortmund, Atleti, Liverpool and Leipzig. <laughs>